what the Bible teaches about uh, our salvation and whether we can lose our salvation. There are a lot of folks in the religious world today who say you can't lose your salvation. You can live any way that you want, and you're going to be saved once, uh, once you're saved. You can't be lost. And I'll look at, we'll look at some quotes that show that. This doctrine has uh, its foundations, uh, partly at least, with a gentleman by the name of John Calvin. John Calvin lived in the 1500s, uh, 1509 to 1564. He lived in France. He was a reformer. And so in the 1500s and for years before this, the Catholic Church had become very corrupt. Uh, they were engaged in all types of things that were not what they should be. Uh, people were beginning to learn about the corruptions of the Catholic Church and learn that the Bible did not support the doctrines and practices of the Catholic Church. And so there was the Reformation movement. Uh, it is where we get the term Protestant now. So, uh, Protestant denominations are out of this Reformation movement where people were protesting the corruptions of the Catholic Church. Lots of corruptions were in place. Uh, one of the more famous ones is that of the selling of indulgences. So if you wanted to commit some sin and you had some money, if you gave money to the Catholic Church, then that would somehow free you up to commit whatever sin you wanted to commit. So people were seeing those problems and saying, we've got to do something different. John Calvin was one of those who were seeing the problems. Others, like Martin Luther, you remember he had the 95 theses that he nailed to the church in Wittenberg, Germany, to the church door, where he listed his grievances with the Roman church. Uh, Zwingli and Tyndale and others were seeing problems when they compared what the Catholic church was doing then with what the Bible was teaching, and they said, we've got to do something different. And so they were instrumental in this, uh, in this Reformation movement. They sought to reform the Catholic Church and make it better. And so you will see in a lot of Protestant denominations some still remnants of Catholic practices, Catholic terminology, Catholic methods of worship, where they've taken that Catholic approach and reformed it. Our approach is that we need to, rather than trying to reform something, is we need to go back to the original, just go back to the Bible. And don't use, his, don't use traditions and, and teachings of men, but let's just go back to the Bible and do what it said. John Calvin was a part of this movement for reforming the Catholic Church. Now these were very bold and courageous men who were putting literally their necks on the line to go against the Catholic Church at this time. And so they should be committed for that. But they weren't exactly right in their positions and the doctrines that they, that they created and, and, and stood for. One of Calvin's uh, doctrines that he uh, created was the, what we would call a Calvinism today. Uh, and uh, there are five tenets of Calvinism. And they go by the acronym TULIP. This is not a pejorative. This is not something that ridicules Calvinists. Calvinists adopt this uh, acronym to summarize their positions about what the Bible teaches. It is the, known as the TULIP doctrine. Each one of the letters in the word TULIP stand for the five tenets of Calvinism, the five points of Calvinism, the first being total hereditary depravity. So John Calvin taught that we are born sinners. We're born totally corrupt. We get our depravity all the way back from Adam and Eve. When Adam sinned in the garden, his uh, seed was then corrupted and everyone that has been born since Adam, with the exception of Jesus, was born totally depraved, totally sinful, 
totally wicked, unable to do what is right. And as a result of that, then, the next tenet in his doctrine of Calvinism is unconditional election. If you're born totally corrupt and totally depraved, then you can't decide to do right. You can't decide to come to God. Instead, God has to choose you. And so God chooses you, and when he does, he does so unconditionally because everyone is equally wicked. And so he's not going to see something in Ben that he likes and something in David that he doesn't like. No, God's just going to unconditionally pick who's going to be saved and who's not. And he may pick Mark to be saved, and he may not pick Ben, but that's God just chooses, and that's the way it is. Calvin believed and taught that God unconditionally chooses who he wants to be saved and who he doesn't want to be saved. And as a result, then, that gives, leads us to the next uh, tenet of Calvinism, and that is limited atonement. If God's just picking a few and not picking others to be saved, when Jesus died on the cross, his sacrifice was not for the world, but it was just for those few that God selected. That's what Calvin taught. And then that leads us to the next point in Calvinism. That is irresistible grace. If God has picked Mark and not Ben, and he sent Jesus to die on the cross for Mark and not Ben, then Mark is not going to be able to resist the grace that God has offered to him. Those that God has chosen cannot resist the grace that God has presented to them. If God has chosen you to be saved, you are going to be saved, and you can't do anything about that. And then finally, the P in TULIP is the perseverance of the saints. That is, once you're saved, you will persevere to the end. You are going to be saved. You can't be lost once you're saved. Those are the five points, or five tenets of Calvinism. Again, represented by the, the acronym TULIP. Total hereditary depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. Now, many folks in the denominational world are going to hold to some or all of these points of Calvinism. If someone holds to all these points, they refer to themselves as a five-point Calvinist. They adopt all of these. Not everyone does. Others will adopt some and not all. The gentleman that we'll be talking with on Thursday, I believe, would tell, consider himself a two-point Calvinist. If he may not even refer to himself as a Calvinist, he would believe in irresistible grace and perseverance of the saints, I believe. But tonight I want to talk with this, about this last point, this perseverance of the saints. Some would call it the impossibility of apostasy or once saved, always saved. The idea that once you're saved, you're going to be saved. There's nothing that you can do to lose your salvation. Here's what some folks say about this who hold to this doctrine. And you may have seen some of these quotes before in the past. Bill Foster was a Baptist preacher in Louisville, Kentucky. He said it this way. If I killed my wife and mother and debauched a thousand women, I could, couldn't go to hell. In fact, I couldn't go to hell if I wanted to. This is a Baptist preacher who says he believes that once you're saved, you're always saved, and he takes it to its extreme. He says, if I killed people and I committed immoral, immoral acts with a thousand women, I couldn't go to hell. I couldn't go to hell if I made up my mind that I wanted to go to hell. I'm going to be saved, and, God, and there's nothing I can do about that. That's what he said. He's logical in his approach if he's going to hold to this doctrine. Here's what another preacher said, Sam Morris uh, from Stamford, Texas, in his work entitled, Do a Christian's Sins Damn His Soul? 
He says, we take the position that a Christian's sins do not damn his soul. The way a Christian lives, what he says, his character, his conduct, or his attitude towards other people have nothing whatever to do with the salvation of his souls. And all the sins he may commit, from murder to idolatry, will not make his soul in any more danger. He says, once you're saved, it doesn't matter how you live. You can live any way that you want. You can commit murder. You can be an idol worshiper. You can do whatever you want. It won't make your soul in any danger. Once you're saved, you're always saved. Don't worry about it. That's what he says. The Westminster Confession puts it this way. The Westminster Confession of the, uh, the Presbyterian Church says, They whom God has accepted in His beloved, effectually called and sanctified by His Spirit, can neither, neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. The Westminster Confession says you can't fall from grace. You are going to be saved. Once you're saved, you're going to be saved. And so I hope these quotes help to illustrate this idea of what folks hold to when they hold to this idea that once you're saved, you can't be lost. The question for us tonight is, what does the Bible say about this doctrine of once saved, always saved? I'll tell you, the Bible very much teaches the opposite of this, that it is possible for us, once we're saved, to lose our salvation. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says it is possible for a Christian to fall from grace. Now back to that quote from the Westminster Confession. Notice it is, it is impossible. They shall neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace. Let's look at what the Bible says about that. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 4, passage Mark read for us. Notice it says exactly the opposite of that. It says, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law... You are fallen from grace. It says in Galatians 5 verse 4, it's possible to fall from grace. Now you can't fall from something that you're not in. We can't fall from grace unless we're in grace. You can't fall out of an apple tree. I've fallen out of an apple tree before. But you know what you had to do to get before I could fall out of that apple tree? I had to get in the apple tree. You can't fall out of something that you're not in. You can't fall from grace if you're not in it. You're saved, and then you fall from grace. It says it's possible. Also, the Bible says it's possible to depart from the faith. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning of verse 1. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. The Spirit says that some will depart from the faith. How could you depart from the faith unless you were already in the faith? Some of us will, or all of us will depart from this building in just a few minutes. Well, you can't depart from this building unless you were in the building to begin with. These people were in the faith and they were going to depart from the faith. So it's possible to fall from grace. It's possible to depart from the faith. It's possible to deny the Lord that bought us. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. These people were bought by the Lord. These people were saved. 
And what are they doing? They're denying the Lord that bought them. Well, I know from what Jesus said that that puts you in a very bad spot. If you deny the Lord that bought you, what did Jesus say he would do? In Matthew chapter 10, verse 33. Matthew chapter 10, verse 33. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says there are going to be people who deny the Lord that bought them. And Jesus says, if you deny me, I'm going to deny you. Does that sound like you're going to be saved if you're denying Jesus? No. It's possible to deny the one that bought them. Furthermore, the Bible says it is possible to be led away with error. Back to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. It's possible for brethren, for beloved, to be led away with the error of the wicked and to fall from their own steadfastness. It's possible to be led away from error. The scriptures over and over again are telling us and warning us about the danger of falling away, falling away, not being saved. The scriptures tell us it's possible to err from the truth. Look at James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 19. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sins. James says talking to brethren, that it is possible to err from the truth. If you err from the truth, brethren, that's a possibility. It's not, he's not just talking in, in, um, in some type of make-believe world here or some hypothetical. He said it is possible to err from the truth. And notice the condition that we would find ourselves in. If once we're saved, once we're called a brother, to err from the truth, notice what would happen. We will save a soul from death if we convert that person. The person, the brother who errs from the truth is in danger of death. That doesn't sound like once saved, always saved to me. It is possible to err from the truth. And furthermore, it's possible to perish. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 11. And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish? Paul's talking about folks who were going to practice their rights and their liberties to the extent that they would weaken a brother and cause a brother to fall or stumble. And Paul says when you do that, you would cause the weak brother to perish. Again, it doesn't sound like one saved, always saved, does it? A weak brother could perish. And Christians can fall into condemnation. Back to the book of James. James chapter 5, verse 12. But above all things, my brethren, swear not neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay nay, lest you fall into condemnation. Christians, brethren, can fall into condemnation. And brethren can be moved away from the hope. Moved away from the hope. First, Colossians chapter 1. Verses 21 through 23. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable 
and unreprovable in his sight, if you continue in the faith grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. You can be moved away from the hope of the gospel. What is the hope of the gospel? Salvation, isn't it? You can be moved away from your salvation. You can be lost once you're saved. And furthermore, it's possible to depart from the living God. How could you be saved if you depart from the living God? Yet Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 says it is possible to depart from the living God. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. How could a brother be saved if he's departed from the living God? Clearly he can't. And we also see finally that it is possible to become a castaway. Once you're saved, once you're in a right relationship with God, it is possible for you to become a castaway. In fact, that was one of Paul's concerns in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, Paul says, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I had preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Was Paul saved? Certainly he was. We know Paul was saved. We know Paul had been baptized to wash away his sins. Paul was a Christian. Paul was a saved individual. And he was concerned about remaining faithful or else he would become a castaway. The scriptures are very clear. It's possible for a Christian to fall from grace, to depart from the faith, to deny the Lord that bought them, to be led away with error, to err from the truth, to perish, to fall into condemnation, to be moved away from the hope, to deny the Lord that bought them, to depart from the living God, to be a castaway. The scriptures just do not support this idea that once you're saved, you're always saved. In fact, it'd be hard to open up your Bible to any page and not find some warning and some teaching that says you need to be careful to remain faithful to God because if you don't, you'll be punished. The scriptures are very clear. In fact, we could get rid of all the scriptures we looked at and look at just what Jesus said. Because Jesus said very clearly, it is possible to fall away. In Luke chapter 8, verse 13, in the story of the uh, uh, parable of the sower, look at eight, Luke 8, verse 13, the, the seed that fell on the stony ground. Notice what it says. They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. Jesus says there are going to be people who hear the word of God and they're happy to hear it and they receive the word of God and they believe it and they start to live it. But things get hard and get difficult. And what happens then? They fall away. And Jesus isn't saying, hey, once that seed takes root, don't worry about it. It's going to grow. No, he says there will be people who when they hear the word and obey it and start to live it, when things get hard, they will fall away. Jesus says it's possible to fall away. Jesus says we should not uh, take this doctrine as what is being taught. And furthermore, we've got some case studies in the first century of Christians who did just that, who fell away, who did as Jesus said, would start to live like they should, but then fall away when times got tough. In Acts chapter 8, verse 13, 
in Acts chapter 8, verse 13, as uh, Philip is in Samaria, he's preaching the gospel in Acts chapter 8. People are believing and being baptized. In Acts chapter 8, verse 13, Simon believed and was baptized. Notice what happens here. And Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Simon was impressed with the miracles and signs that were being done. Why? Well, we know from looking at Acts chapter 8 that Simon was in the business of doing signs and wonders, but they were fake signs and wonders. He was a sorcerer. And when he saw the true miracles that were being done by Philip, he was amazed, such that he believed and was baptized. He became a saved believer. But what happened to Simon the sorcerer? We go on in Acts chapter 8, verse 22. In Acts chapter 8, verse 22, Simon has asked Peter to give him the ability to give the, whole, the gift of the Holy Spirit to others. He wanted to buy it with money. And Peter rebuked him. Apparently he wanted to do this so that he could impress others like the apostles were. Or maybe for profit and for greed. Who knows why? But he wanted to have something that he couldn't have. And Peter rebuked him, and notice what he says, Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee, for I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. When Simon committed this sin of trying to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit with money, Peter says he needed to be forgiven because he was in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. That doesn't sound like a person who's saved to me, does it to you? And furthermore, Peter said he was going to perish. He says your, uh, uh, your, your money would perish with you. Um, so Peter tells Simon that you're not once saved, always saved. Hymenaeus and Alexander are some others that we could look at in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, who had been saved but no longer were. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19. 1 Timothy 1, verse 19, Holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. There's some folks who have put away their faith, they have put away a good conscience, and they have made their faith shipwreck. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Hymenaeus and Alexander had been saved. Paul had delivered them to Satan because they were now blasphemers. They were not once saved, always saved. Hymenaeus and, and Alexander fell away. And finally, in Revelation chapter four, uh, 2, Revelation chapter 2, beginning of verse 4, the church at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus is in danger of falling away. In Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. The church at Ephesus was going to have their candlestick removed because they had fallen away. The church at Ephesus didn't have their ticket punch once they were saved. They're going to go to heaven. No. Jesus says you need to repent or else you're going to be punished or else he's going to come and take the candlestick out of the way. Also, turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter, or 2 Peter chapter 2. 
2 Peter chapter 2, notice some other stern warnings about remaining faithful to God. 2 Peter chapter 2, it's not on the screen here, but let's look at it together. 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning of verse 20. 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning of verse 20. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, these are people who have been saved, they've escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. They knew it, and they turned away from it. But it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Two very disgusting images here that Peter presents of a dog who gets sick and vomits and turns around to that vomit and eats it. Or a pig who had been washed and cleaned up, and goes immediately back to that mire that it was in. These are people that Peter is talking about here who have escaped the pollutions of the world. They have been saved, and they turn back to those sinful activities that they were living in before. They turned their back on the Lord and went back into a life of sin. And Peter said it would have been better for them than they had, if they had never known the truth. Why? Because the truth is what saves us. They had heard the truth and obeyed it, and then they've turned their back to it. What's going to pull them out of that mire? Again, nothing, because they've turned their back against the only thing that can save them, the Word and the Gospel. Peter says it is possible for us to lose our salvation once we have it. And then turning your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, a very scary passage for us as we think about our faithfulness, Hebrews chapter 10, beginning of verse 26. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. Hebrews 10, verse 26. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who has said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, and again the Lord will judge his people. This is a frightening passage. It talks about us being saved when we have been uh, uh, sanctified by the blood of, of the covenant and we count it a common, theme, a common thing and insult the spirit of grace. The spirit that saved us tells us here that we're going to have a sore punishment but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation. That's the condition that the person finds himself in who has been saved and turns away from that and goes back into the world. Is it possible for a Christian to lose his salvation? It certainly is. Does the Bible support the idea of once saved, always saved? It absolutely does not. And so finally for us tonight, I want to tell you that 
this has serious implications for us. What does this mean for the Christian today? This means that we need to be very diligent to make sure that we remain faithful to God because it is possible for us to lose our salvation. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, forasmuch as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We need to be diligent, to be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Because it is possible for us to lose our salvation. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 beginning. First, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 tells us we need to be working on our spiritual health. You know, many of us are concerned about our physical health. And are working to make sure that we maintain physical health. We're watching what we eat. We're watching uh, our diet. We're trying to get physical activity because we want our physical health to remain strong. Peter tells us we need to do something very similar to that in our spiritual health. We need to be working very hard to make sure that we maintain spiritual health. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 verse or 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 5. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 5, and besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make that you should be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Notice this. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an interest shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. How can I make sure that I never fall? By giving diligence to making sure that I'm growing spiritually. That I give attention to my spiritual health. That I'm focused on growing and being what God would have me to be. If I'll do these things, Peter says, I'll never fall. It's possible to fall, Peter says. But if I'll do these things, if I'll be proactive about my spiritual well-being, I will never fall. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, Paul says it this way, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, oh, but there's a two-letter word here, if we faint not. I've got to keep on keeping on. If I want to make sure that my salvation is secure, I've got to keep on keeping on. We're going to reap, but we've got to make sure that we don't faint. And finally, Revelation chapter 2, verse 10 Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. In this context, Jesus is talking about some very bad things that were going to come toward the Christians at that time. Some very, very difficult things, but they weren't going to last long. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried. And you shall have tribulation ten days, a week and a half. Not a literal week and a half, but it's not going to be long. They were going to have to endure things for a while that were going to be very bad, but it wasn't going to last forever. I'll tell you something, brethren, we're going to have to endure some things that aren't pleasant, that aren't fun. But can you do it for a week and a half? Can you do it for 10 days? For a short period of time? You can. Jesus says, be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give you a crown of life. Don't quit. Be faithful even up to the point they're going to cut your head off if you pronounce that you have faith in God. 
and faith in Christ. They'll cut your head off. I'll do it. Cut my head off. I'm going to be faithful unto death is what Jesus is saying we must do. We need to make sure that we understand what the Bible teaches about once saved, always saved. The Bible doesn't say that once you're saved, you don't have to worry about it anymore. Just live any way that you want to live. Back to those quotes that we looked at before. If I killed my wife and mother and debauched a thousand women, I couldn't go to hell. In fact, I couldn't go to hell if I wanted to. Does it sound like what the Bible's told us tonight? No. We take the position that a Christian sins do not damn his soul. The way a Christian lives, what he says, his character, his conduct, or his attitude toward other people have nothing whatever to do with the salvation of his souls. All the sins he may commit from murder to idolatry will not make his soul in any more danger. Does the Bible support that? No, absolutely not. The Bible teaches that we can fall from grace. Now, if I had a doctrine that I wanted to believe, this would be one that I'd want to believe. Once saved, always saved. If the Bible supported it, I would be preaching it loud and clear. But the Bible simply doesn't support it. And so we've got to make sure that we're giving diligence to make our calling and election sure. That we're being diligent to remain faithful to God no matter the cost, no matter what may come. The question for us tonight is, are you living faithful to God? Have you submitted to Him in obedience to the gospel? Have you repented of your sins, confessed your faith in Christ, and been baptized for the remission of your sins. And having done that, are you remaining faithful to Him in every aspect of your life? If you're not, there's no better time than right now to make correction. And if we can help you, let us know while we stand and sing.